Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year to those joining me for the first time in 2021. Before I tackle our topic for today, I am excited to share with you that on the last day of 2020, I learned that this podcast received an award called a Clawby for being one of the top five law podcasts across Canada. What a fantastic, unexpected way to end what for so many was a very difficult year. I am very grateful to the organization awarding the Clobbies and to all those who had a hand in nominating this podcast in the first place. I must acknowledge the contribution to this podcast's success of all the guests who agreed to come on and share their experience, expertise, and humanity in their interviews with me. This always involves a commitment of personal time for preparations and the interview itself. So thank you to all of my 2020 Saint Split podcast guests. As humans, we communicate every day and in many different ways. One could say that communication is absolutely essential to our ability to function in the world we face today. As individuals, we signal about who we are, about our needs, our desires, our views and opinions about so many things. Communications also flow to us from the outside, from other humans, from sources of information, our government organizations, and yes, even from our foes. Communication also plays a very important role when relationships end. And in fact, difficulties with it may contribute to the breakdown in the first place. I thought that my listeners might benefit from a three-part series on communication, which begins today with a discussion on how to talk to your lawyer. And here I include consultations, 
full-time retainers and limited scope services. So a variety of contact between lawyers and the public. At first blush on hearing the topic, one might think, what do you mean? How do I talk to my lawyer? Isn't that obvious? I speak, they listen, they may speak back and so on. But in my experience over the last 25 years in family law, I have come to realize a number of things about communication in this context. I have made a number of observations based on my contact with clients, on their needs, on the context in which that communication takes place, being a separation. And based on my personal interest in communication and ways in which we exchange ideas in general. The fundamental point worth repeating, and I try to do so in some way in every episode, is that separation is a very difficult time for those experiencing it, emotionally, psychologically, financially. For many people, the end of a relationship marks a tectonic shift in their lives. And from their perspective, the landscape after this shift will never be the same. When humans experience upheaval, which involves stress and anxiety, and importantly, the unknown, their ability to communicate effectively may be impacted or even impaired. And when I use the word communication, I mean both directions of the dialogue. In other words, the talking and the listening. More specifically, people who experience separation-related stress may have understandable difficulty expressing themselves, but they may also have some trouble processing information coming back at them. This is very natural and very common. When patients go to see their doctor, particularly if the illness is acute and they're waiting to hear the diagnosis and proposed treatment, for example, they often bring someone else with them to the appointment, a relative or a friend. This is because they recognize they are experiencing a high degree of stress and may not be able to process or even remember all of the information that the doctor will be providing at the appointment. Family law clients frequently do the same thing. And I've had many initial appointments with the client, which included another person from their support network. So any tips on how to communicate effectively with your lawyer? must begin with the recognition of the context in which that communication is taking place. The anxiety is often heightened by the novelty of the situation as well. Over the years, I have had many clients tell me that they are fearful because they literally don't know what is coming next having never experienced a breakdown of a major relationship before. So there is a steep learning curve, many issues to be dealt with 
which are completely new and about which the person experiencing the separation may know nothing to begin with. There are feelings of loss of control, of uncertainty, of mistrust, and of anger, frankly, that they have been put in a position which is not of their own choosing. In the first episode of this podcast called A Journey to a Place Called Apart, I used an analogy to describe the period post-separation. It's like walking on a frozen lake with cracks in it and with each step taken, wondering whether one will fall through. Let's personalize this situation, and to do so, I have created a hypothetical Miriam who recently learned that her marriage is over. Miriam was married to Michael for 23 years, and she is devastated by his announcement that he's moving on. She is so overwhelmed by the flood of emotions she's experiencing that she doesn't know what step to take next, literally. Wherever her thoughts go, into whatever area of her life they take her, she realizes there will be change, in some instances quite profound. Decisions will have to be made about the house, which Michael and Miriam shared for a long time, about money she will use to support herself, about their place in Florida, and about her art studio. She tells her best friend, Marina, that she is so upset by Michael's announcement that she cannot think straight. At night, she either doesn't sleep at all or she sobs until morning. One of Miriam's friends recommends a family law lawyer and she brings Marina to the first appointment. I am that lawyer, the lawyer in the hypothetical. So what do I see? I see... And obviously very sad and very distressed Miriam. Perhaps her eyes are puffy, she's nervous. And to use a description from yoga, her shoulders are around her ears. She's very tense, partly because she doesn't know what to expect next. It is natural for someone in Miriam's position to feel apprehensive about and at the first appointment. Some people come to that first meeting and, in fact, further meetings with their lawyer with a list of questions. And I think that's a terrific idea. It helps to organize thoughts, cover areas of interest, give the person a little more sense of control and direction. Miriam's list may include bullet points as general as house and finances and benefits coverage and Florida property. I also suggest Miriam may find taking some notes during the meeting helpful. If she is too emotional to do that, that's perfectly fine as well. She might suggest the lawyer send her a summary of the information after the meeting by email or some other way. 
Also, let's remember Marina is at the meeting as well. She may very well be taking notes. So the communication between Miriam and the lawyer, me, begins at the first meeting. In my view, a lawyer at that first meeting and also throughout the relationship should do all they can to the greatest extent possible to ease the tension and discomfort the client is feeling. One way of doing that is to create an atmosphere in the meeting which reassures Miriam that she can ask any questions she may have and that she's not expected to do so in legal jargon or using technical terms. I come to these meetings with the assumption that the person sitting across from my desk knows nothing about the law and is greatly distressed because their relationship has come to an end. Yes, there are many people who actually make the decision to separate, but it wouldn't be right to assume that because they made that decision, they're not facing an upheaval as well and are not struggling with a variety of emotions related to that decision. So whether the human sitting in my office is a person who ended the relationship or who was on the receiving end of the decision, I do what I can and I know my colleagues, my fellow family law lawyers do as well to make this stressed, anxious, uncertain, fearful human as comfortable as possible. There is no prescription, no set way in which the first meeting between a lawyer and a client should unfold. These meetings are as individual as are people themselves. Overall, the communication goal in the first meeting is for the lawyer to gather sufficient information from the client, as in facts, to be able to identify the legal issues involved and to give at least preliminary legal advice. In my office, I have a fairly detailed intake form, which everyone coming to see me completes before the appointment. So I already have a lot of factual information about the case and I'm able to create a list of my own questions, but also of the legal issues which are likely to be involved. Let's zoom out a bit and consider what is happening when a person initially contacts a lawyer for a consultation. That person is facing a situation with which they need assistance, and the lawyer has the knowledge and experience to provide that assistance. In other words, this is expected to be an exchange of information, a two-way communication, which is to benefit the person coming to the appointment to help them better understand their circumstances and potential scenarios for what is to happen next, to know their rights and their obligations as a result of the separation. Clients come to see lawyers, and in fact, solicitor-client relationships are established so that the client can receive a service from the lawyer. The client pays for that service. I know this sounds very simplistic, 
But it's vitally important, in my view, to remember this fundamental basis of the relationship. I bring this up because on a number of occasions now, I have heard people who come to me for a second opinion say they were afraid to ask their previous lawyer questions or that they did not understand the answer but were afraid to ask for clarification. Such feedback concerns me and saddens me, quite frankly. Open communication is, in my view, the very foundation of a successful solicitor-client relationship. If my client is afraid to ask me a question, then I have failed at my job as a lawyer. There is somehow a level of discomfort or perception of a pecking order which impairs a free flow of ideas, impeding effective communication. You pay for a service, you are entitled to ask questions and to receive answers. This applies throughout your relationship with your lawyer. Let's talk about language, how information is conveyed and ideas expressed. Many of the concepts which will be addressed in the context of a separation are, again, novel concepts and legal concepts. So the learning curve for the client is quite steep. If you are a client, you need to give yourself a break here. Be patient with yourself. And you need to remember this if you're a lawyer. For example... Equalization of net family property and all of its elements are second nature to me as a legal concept. I have completed literally thousands of these calculations in my work as a lawyer and mediator. But they are new to you, and I have to remember that. You will forget what a date of marriage deduction is the minute you leave my office. In fact, you may forget what it is as soon as we move on to the next topic. Or you may not even understand the concept as well as you think you do when you hear about it for the first time. This has nothing to do with your intellectual capacity. It has to do with your circumstances. This is natural, almost expected, and This is one of the reasons it is important that the initial meeting proceed at a pace that it's comfortable to you, not to your lawyer, to you. You may not be in the appropriate emotional state to tell me that I'm moving too fast. Part of my job involves assessing whether we're moving at the right pace and whether you are absorbing at least a portion of the information that's being thrown at you. There are two more things when it comes to communication between a client and their lawyer that always give me pause. They are head scratchers for me, frankly. The first is a client asking their lawyer if they can ask another question. Of course you can, and you should. I also take pause when a fellow human being prefaces their question by telling me that it's a stupid one, as in, can I ask you a stupid question? There are no bad questions. There are no bad ways of posing them. 
and you need to ask your questions no matter what they are and no matter how they are framed. From my perspective, the more questions my client has, the more engaged they are in their own case, which I think is vitally important. And the more opportunity that gives me to gauge whether they're understanding the legal issues involved. It's also okay to ask the same question again and again. Let me unpack that a bit. When I explain a concept, we apply it to the case and my client asks me questions about the concept, the basics of it again and again. That tells me that I did not explain it in a way which is accessible to my client, that client, that unique human being. It's my job to reframe the explanation as many times as is required. My colleagues need to do the same. Every lawyer does. Again, this is your case. You pay for your lawyer services to you. They need to be delivered in a way which you can access. So you are an active participant in your case. You can understand the advice given and you can provide informed instructions along the way. How is this accomplished? Effective communication. What about the pace of communications? It is perfectly acceptable for you to ask in the first meeting, what is the best way of reaching the lawyer? And second, how long a response might take. So you ask, and in fact, I ask in the first meeting, what is the best way to reach you? For me, it's email. For others, it may be phone message or calling the assistant to set up a call. As for response times, these are often dependent on the urgency of the issue or the lawyer's court schedule, for example. But you're entitled to have a reasonable expectation as to a response. If you send an email and you do not hear back in three or four days, nothing wrong and everything right with sending a follow-up or calling the office to find out what is going on. If I am in court a lot or mediating, I have my law clerk keep in touch with the client and set up a call for us, for example, when I'm free. Again, communication is key. When you don't hear back, you worry, and we don't want that. Let's get back to Miriam because I would like to use her hypothetical to illustrate my suggestion about regroup meetings or calls. Miriam retains me and importantly commences supportive counseling to help her manage the emotional aspects of her separation. She and I engage with the other side, short-term support arrangements are made and so on. We are progressing. Several months pass. As the case proceeds, whether you are in court or negotiating through lawyers, as you come to forks in the road, decisions need to be made. You might consider a regroup meeting or call from time to time. And I would be suggesting one in Miriam's case as we are progressing. I really, really like those. 
they are essentially taking stock of where my client and I have been, where we are, and where we might go next. Sometimes we conclude at the regroup that we are where we plan to be and agree to keep going. Sometimes the regroup is an opportunity to identify a new strategy, a new direction, a chance to see what approaches have been successful and what needs to be abandoned. Again, communication, the client talking to his or her lawyer, active communication, an exchange of ideas, hopefully based on a knowledge base built up with the client over a period of time through free-flowing, confident, comfortable interface, an active dialogue in which you feel at ease asking questions and in which answers are delivered in a way you can understand, free of legal jargon. Because effective communication with your lawyer is one of the keys to a sane split. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.